Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about. time talking for about. Mortgage Matters. Hi, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Can't hear? Wes can't hear. Can I hear? I think I can hear. Can you hear? You have any problems? Okay. All right. Told us. There we go. That was really loud now. Yeah, we're good. Hey, told us it wasn't going to be any problems today, Jim. Well, we got it now. Okay, we got, we, it, now. We got it now. <laughs> yeah, we got switched. All right. <laughs> All right. It's always exciting. It's how you know it's live radio. You know, little little flubs here and there. We're missing the uh, the, the co-pilot, Dan Podesto. It feels funny to call him the co-pilot. He's probably the guy in more control. He just lets me fly. <laughs> I got Wes Burke in here with me, though, to, to do some time. And Man, does this guy look sharp today? Is it your New Year's resolution to, to look like that even on the weekends? No, it's no? not. It's no? not. I just happen to be working today. I don't know that I've seen you showered on a Saturday in a long time. Well, I do take showers on Saturdays, Jason. It's just that, you know, your show <laughs> starts so early. Yeah, 10 isn't that early, Wes. <laughs> Hey, but thanks for being with us. It's already January 11th, which is kind of hard to believe. The, the time goes by quick. And, uh, yeah, it's been a super exciting week in uh, mortgage world. I wonder, how was the week in real estate world, Wes? Well, the, the world is kind of waking up again in real estate. There's uh, Over the holidays, there's kind of a lull and not uh, a whole lot was going on, it seemed like. But we've um, picked up. The office is jumping again. And... People are uh, out there looking looking to buy houses. I read an article this week that was, um, and it, it's written for uh, industry folk, and it said, this is the first year where there was kind of a seasonal lull for the first time in a few years, and uh, at least on the mortgage side, because rates were so low. And um, in, in November, December, and January, where you typically kind of go into a little bit of hibernation during those months, we we worked right through them the last couple of years and and it was nice let me tell you it it is nice to to be able to depend on your your job and your income through those couple of winter months especially right before tax season right yes so this year was kind of more like normal. It was a little bit slower. It was a little bit like, hey, how come the phone's not ringing? And and then when people call, they kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about it, but I'm probably going to wait till after the first of the year. Um, so it's a little bit freaky. I mean, that in conjunction with rates going up and seeing volumes slow altogether, it's just a little bit freaky. Uh, but this last week was... Uh, it was good news again. Things were felt like it was kind of getting back to normal. People coming out of the woodwork, new deals coming together. Seemed like there was a lot of good news in the uh, press about the general state of the economy. I, I heard several conversations about employment. There was so much good news, in fact. Um, it was 
even I was having to, to stop and say, hey, man, maybe this thing is just all, it's all a bowl of cherries now. Things are really looking up. And then yesterday, of course. Record the date, Jim. Yesterday, we got the employment. Date January 11th, 2014. Jay, the Jay, employment Jay's report came out yesterday. Optimism. No, man. Did you hear the, yesterday's report, uh, employment report? I, I think I did, actually, but remind me. It was um, no bueno. As they say in the industry, the uh, in fact, I'm getting my notes open here so I can tell you exactly what happened. Um, well, first of all, the unemployment rate dropped. It's been at it was at seven percent. It dropped to six point seven. So generally, you would think that that's good news, something to celebrate. Um, point. The unemployment rate dropped this month due to a shrinkage in the labor force. So it's just simply less people out there looking for work, not generally a good thing. Um, expectations for the month of December was to add 196,000 jobs with the unemployment rate holding steady. In reality, what we added was only 74,000 jobs almost a third of what was actually forecast. And then to see also that unemployment rate fall as a lack, a lack of labor force is, is definitely not a good thing. And to, to kind of put it into context a little bit, more recently in November, um, we created 203,000 jobs. Um, that was several months in a row of 200,000 jobs. In fact, November was predicted to be one of the crummier months at 130, 140 or so. Um, came out kind of really, I mean, not kind of, absolutely blowing expectations out of the water. And that was kind of one of the reasons the Fed sat down and said, hey, look how good the uh, unemployment numbers are doing. We're creating jobs. We're, we're, we've got now what they would define as some sustained improvement in the employment market. Um, and then so the very month that they taper, we find that they have um, the weakest month for job creation in, in three years. Um, could you pass that bowl of cherries over here, please? Yeah. But yeah, interesting though, that employment report was kind of the wet blanket. I mean, everything coming along has been been pretty positive generally and even um unemployment initial jobless claims this week which were um 339 the previous week we were expecting 335 and it came out at 330 so you still have fewer people yet coming forward for first time unemployment benefits but at the same time we're just not adding the jobs in the month of december that we hoped to add so is it a fluke is it just because it's it was a cold December and perhaps um, just chalk it up to the impact of a cold winter and, and maybe as things thaw out a little bit on the first Friday in February, we'll learn that January made up for it? One can only hope. But at this point, um, pretty that was a pretty booty report is what I'm going to call it. And just uh, give you an idea. I shared with this uh, a couple weeks ago, 2013, that 10 year yield opened up at 1.75% and it closed the year at 3.03. That's crazy movement. And we know that the 
30-year fixed mortgage is roughly a point and a half above that 10-year, right? So you go from 1.75, add that point and a half margin, three and a quarter. We saw rates around three and a quarter, right? Um, go to the end of the year, 3.03, add that point and a half, you're at like just over four and a half. That's about where we are today. So that kind of holding true, interesting thing is that's really crazy movement. Usually that thing, given any day, will move a couple um, hundredths in one way or another. Uh, yesterday it fell um, by 10 basis points. The yield fell from like 2.98 down to 2.88. And that was really, that's cool. Drags interest rates right with it. So maybe the silver lining here is a little shot in the arm for the interest rate environment. May? Yeah, maybe. Short, short-lived though, don't you think? You know, it depends. The reason that the numbers yesterday had such an impact is that it immediately undermines the confidence that the Fed will continue a paced taper. In other words, if these these numbers come out the way that they did immediately after a taper, would the Feds then next time say, you know, we're not going to do any further taper. We're going to leave it be to make sure that, that the employment market is continuing on the, the path that we hoped it was on. So just the mere suggestion that that really weak employment numbers like this would keep the feds from tapering further pushes those yields down. Um, and also, uh, we saw a little bit of loss in the Dow yesterday. So it could be short-lived, may not. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if the feds had a false start in this taper thing because it was mainly unexpected by economists and if they did take a false start then uh perhaps some of these numbers will just clear it and it'll be a few more months before they taper further have you contemplated whether or not maybe the feds did this uh intentionally you know like they they sent out the uh sent out the defense and then called time out to see what the formation was <laughs> no i don't think so Really, because they did kind of they did kind of sneak it in a little bit unexpectedly, and it was pretty much just a toe dip. Yeah, and it it wouldn't surprise me if if it if part of the purpose of that were to kind of gauge the reaction of the the marketplace, uh, catch it a little bit off guard, see what happens when you taper just a little bit, and use that information to steer their decisions about when and how much to taper in the future. I don't think there's so much of them seeing what happens. I mean, this is an elitist group of folks running um, one of the best countries and economies in the world. I, I do think, however, that our market really dislikes uncertainty, period. So with all of the uncertainty, I mean, the feds began talking about this back in May. Hey, if these things continue the way that they are, we're going to taper. And as soon as they said that, boy, did we like race into the sky is falling mode and everybody panicked and we spent the whole second half of the year freaked out about it. So if anything, I think the Fed said, hey, taper's not that big of a deal. And here's a taste of it. See what happens. And then watch how we respond in the given economy. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a toe dip. They only took out um, five million of of both the treasuries and the mortgage-backed securities purchasing. Taking out five billion of each drops the overall purchasing from eighty-five billion to seventy-five billion. Let's slow it down a little bit. You're gonna feel that probably not, 
but it gives everybody an idea of, hey, look, they tapered a little and, and the sky didn't fall. So I, I do think there's probably more an element of that. The Fed's just trying to show us that we wound ourselves all up in fear of this uncertainty. And the fact is that it's going to be okay. And I think really the truth is um, it wasn't like uh, tearing the Band-Aid off completely um, because now we're getting a little bit of chance to see how it soaks in while real data comes out, while the December numbers are the worst they've been in three years. And we'll get to see next month how um, Fed policy responds to that. And if anything, that's going to help, I think, color a little bit of, of how people view what the Fed has in mind for the economy. My two cents, anyway. It's good stuff. Yeah, cool. Um, let's see here. What else, man? That's it. That's all I brought to talk about today. It only took 17 minutes. So these next 43 minutes are yours, kid. Well, let's take a break and regroup then. <laughs> <laughs> now it makes it sound like we really yeah, are unprepared. I talked to you last night, and it's. I, I just think it's funny. You you guys do such a great job with this show, and, and you do come prepared, I, and I know that. But you, you're pretty closed-lipped about what's on your mind and, and what you're going to talk about in the show. And so you when you have guests on, including myself— Generally, we come in here a little bit like uh, deer in the headlight, not really sure how the show's going to unfold. So you know, I know you've got something up your sleeve. I just don't know what it is. The fact that you recognize that just further impresses me about you. Um, the reality is it's, it's a conscious decision of ours to make sure these conversations are organic. In the beginning, we were so nervous about doing the talk on air that we would meet with guests the day before and really hammer out a game plan and come in really um, with, with an agenda of items to discuss. And the reality is the conversations the day before were so much better than, than when we revisited it on the air the next day. Um, there's just something about the first run of having a conversation with somebody where you get genuine um, question back or clarification type of things. It's just better that way. So, yeah, man, we, we're going to have you squirm a little bit. You're not always going to know exactly what's to be talked about. Uh -huh. So it is um, just about 20 after 10, which means we're going to go ahead and take time out for the first commercial break. When we get back, we have more to come with Wes Burke. So stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, Seattle, Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. You got the best engineer ever, you know. It's the reference to cherry. Cherry, right? cherry. I get it. I don't. I don't know if Jason does, but I get it, and I appreciate it, Jim. Yeah, I, I love the way you tie those those segues back in. I'm I'm picking it up. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. In the guest seat today is Wes Burke from Patterson Realty. He's the owner operator. Um, I wish you guys should see him today. Uh, he's got on. Um, I mean. Nice pants, a button-up shirt with a, a slick little tie. Looking, Jerry tie. Yeah, looking like a million bucks, man. That's You're looking good. Thanks. Feel good. Wes is a um, president now, right? For the, I am. Yeah, I'm the president of the Scenic Coast Association of Realtors now. Okay. So yeah. you're um, spending maybe a little bit more time out on the coast this year than you have been in previous yeah, I've been involved with leadership in that association for a few years now as the MLS committee chair, which is, uh, frankly, that's the job in in the association there that probably bears the, the most work or demands the most time. And uh, last year as vice president, I spent quite a bit of time out there as well. So I'm just really proud. It's a great association. The people are amazing. The staff is unbelievable. Um, the attitude is, is great. The board of directors is all um, really sharp, and, and they get a lot done. And and uh, really serve their members well. I'm proud to be a part of that organization. Awesome. Well, I know they're th they're thankful to have your service. Yeah. Well, it's it's a it's an opportunity to um, really stay on the cutting edge. It's one of the reasons that I stay involved and and volunteer time in in those ways is because it really it really does give back. Um, I. I I've talked about it recently and, and said that the, the rewards far outweigh the efforts of my service. You know, that's really how we feel about doing this show. The fact is that, like, just because it's, it is so demanding to have to do the prep work and come in every week ready to talk about current events and things impacting the market, you can't really uh -huh. just hit snooze for a week and then come in here and know what happened and what's going on. So in some respect, it's 
yeah, the the benefits for us having to do this show every week outweigh it for sure. Well, they must. And I was thinking about that as I got here a little bit early today and I was sitting here visiting with Jim and I'm just thinking, you know, this is a it's a pretty substantial commitment to to run a two hour show every every week. And I thought how much easier it would be to just uh, limit it to an hour and how much easier it would be to fill and um, less stressful and take less of your time and all of that. But the the truth is you guys do a great job. I, I don't ever feel like the show lacks for for um, content and you you do a great job we and i came think you need from to an hour. yeah we came from an hour and it was really difficult to develop um any good conversation i mean it that sounds funny i think because when you think about it an hour-long conversation feels like quite a bit however um for us to be able to cover the things that we want to do which which ranges from data um, then to things specific to housing and things specific to mortgage, regulatory changes, and then and then to have on some kind of guests. I mean, you, you've probably caught wind of this, but we the guests that we bring on to the show, um, and you're no exception to this, we're, we're trying to add value to the listeners. Something, just a, a free little nugget of having a true expert in here. Um, and some of the, the ones that get the better responses are those the guests that are like estate planners or tax attorneys, you know, the ones that you feel like you may have to pay to get in front of. Um, those guys, we, we generally get a, a better response in terms of calls and stuff. But um, truly, the, the goal is to, to, be, to be bringing service all around. And um, hey, so we missed you last month. Um, because it was the show that we took off. I think it was December 16th or 17th or something. I forget the date. Maybe I'm off by it. But anyways, we missed you. So it's actually been a couple months since you've been in here in the studio. And Dan and I finished up the year just kind of trying to sum it up a little bit about what, what happened over the course of the year and then also making a little bit of projection here, um, maybe even predictions of a sort about what to expect for next year. I saw some remarkable um, graphic presentations some fo from folks on your staff that did a great job of summarizing last year. And I hope that you would uh, be prepared to show that um, as best you can on the radio today. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned it because I have it in front of me. And I was, I was hoping to get to um, walk through some of the information that's available in that presentation. And, you know, the, the, the presentation was put together as a YouTube video. And I'd love to steer people to it, but it's got one of those crazy URLs, you know, with weird numbers and letters and caps and non-caps. So I would just invite anybody that's listening that wants to see this. It's about a minute and a half long video presentation of kind of the, the year in review statistically for San Luis Obispo County real estate. And it was put together by the Keith Bird team over at our office. I think Tanya Bird actually put it together, and, or Tanya Knowles. And she's uh, amazing. And this video really is easy to watch and, and tells you a lot about what happened in the marketplace. Like for example, in Slow County, the median home price increased 12.6% from 2012 to 2013. And that's countywide, um, and again, it's it's median, and it's um, I think that that really is a big number. Hey, I'm curious. You know, median's a funny thing. It's kicked around all the time in our industry. And of course, median is like um, the 50 highest over the 50 lowest, or something. However, you want to 
describe it is like if you took a list of a hundred and stacked them in an ascending order, it's the 50th, what happened in the very middle. And that I would think does parallel a little bit to an average. However, the average gets swayed. The reason they do median is the average is swayed in, you know, sell $7 million homes um, versus one $100,000 home. That's going to have a, a different average versus median. So we yeah, the, me the median is used because the average can so easily get skewed by one or two transactions that are anomalies. Yeah. So do so, you know how they compare, though, by the way? Uh, has anybody crunched the numbers for the county to say what the average sales no, price or you know, I, Is that just turn we a just blind don't item? we just don't use average and and so I don't ever go calculate it and it seems like most of the statistical software that we use that analyzes for example the MLS data it all keys on on median now now that I'm saying that there may be functionality in there to look at average but you know in our county i think it's appropriate to use median because we do have those um anomaly cells on occasion i mean if you know a a big 1000 acre ranch on the coast sells for 30 million dollars which can happen on occasion then it could it can really skew the real estate statistics for a year or more just because of that one sale and the median utilizing the median kind of takes that uh, that that out of the picture and gives you a more a, a more true sense of what's actually going on in the marketplace yeah the only thing about the median that I just kind of wonder is I mean it, it seemed that a lot of the the pickup in the housing market like the Entry-level homes, just like, I mean, those things are just flying off the shelf. Right. But then the things in our county that are six or 700,000, that's what felt like it heated up in 2013. Um, we saw, and, and maybe you can share some stats on this, but we saw um, move-up buyers coming out. And that's where I think some of those... Houses that are six and seven hundred thousand dollars begin to sell, which those were kind of the the kiss of death in the years prior. It seemed to me. Yeah, well, the, I think it's they were kind of um, the move up buyer was the missing element at at the beginning of this recovery, and when even while entry level homes were red hot, and we were seeing eight offers on something that. The first day it hit the market, uh, we were missing that move up buyer still because a lot of those were distressed properties. And in 2013, there was a huge decrease over 2012 in the number of distressed properties that sold. In fact, in 2012, 29% of all the transactions in San Luis Obispo County were either short sale or foreclosure. And in 2013, that number was down to 14%. So um, it, it's that number decreased by a little over half. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, now in 2013, I think probably that, that 14% was probably um, heavily weighted towards the, the first uh, of the year. And I think that the reality is that number as, um, if it were to reflect the current activity in the marketplace would be yet even smaller and, and probably below 
Okay. So we're seeing significantly fewer distressed um, properties. And I guess the way that, that, or what I'm thinking about how it relates to your question relative to the move up buyers is simply that there are fewer people in those situations losing those homes. And as appreciation, this 12.6% that we've seen puts people in those that are in those entry level priced houses or valued houses it this appreciation creates an opportunity for them to be able to afford their uh, af- afford to sell their property and contemplate the next step which is the move up purchase and we're seeing more people do that. So I, I don't feel like I'm doing a great job explaining it this morning. But certainly, I, I think at the end of the day, the answer to your question is we're seeing many more move-up buyers in the mid-segments of the market. And that creates a lot of stability across all classes of the market. You're doing fine. I have another question for you. And um, and I'd like your answer in real layman term because um, I just want to simplify this real quick. You got you guys got quite a few agents there in Patterson. I mean, between your how many offices have you got now? We have five offices. And how many agents have you got now? Fifty um, ish. Okay, so you have a pretty decent little sampling of what's going on around the county, just under your own roof. Um, I'm curious to know, giving a listing presentation in 2013 now versus 2014. Okay. Back in 13, I'm going to go ahead and suggest that you looked around at what else had recently sold and knew that you could get that or more. Right? Yes. Okay. So now in 2014, same plan of attack? Are we expecting that we're going to get the same or more based on what has sold um, in the neighborhood, or has it softened enough that you feel like you're going to have to get a percent or two less? I don't feel like um, I don't feel like you have to contemplate getting a percent or two less. But I do think you've got to be very careful and very smart about your pricing. In 2013, there were periods of time and market segments that were so hot that you could actually misprice a property. And the market would catch you and and heal you uh, before it caused you much pain. I don't think that's going to be the case in 2014. I do think that um, being high or low, uh, being high, high. Yeah, I, I I don't think that you're going to have the ability in 2014 to overprice a listing and get away with it. Because because people just roll their eyes at you again, knowing that you are shooting the moon and they don't want to play with you. Yeah, and and really the big thing is just is is the lack of the frenzy. The you know the frenzied environment has cooled. We're not seeing as many multiple offers. Um, we're just not seeing buyers willing to compete against one another in a non-rational way, um, throwing all caution to the wind and 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 being crazy about trying to get something bought. And as the buyers become more contemplative, one of the things that they do, of course, is more thorough analysis of how a subject property stacks up against comparable properties. Yeah. And so they become more educated and they become more insistent on that equation making sense. They want to know why a property is priced a certain way. They want to know that they're buying something that is a reasonable value. I think buyers know better than to think they're going to go out there and steal something today. That's, you know, those days are gone. But um, 
everybody wants a fair deal. Nobody wants to overpay. And right now, the pace has slowed enough that buyers have the opportunity to do that in most circumstances. There are still those uh, market segments and geographic pockets around the county where we can see a very frenzied um, we can see very frenzied activity hit over specific listings but it's much more rare it's not as widespread and I, I think it's good it's healthy um, it certainly I, I think creates an opportunity for a much more pleasant transaction when the two parties sit down, really analyze the situation, make good decisions that feel right, feel um, responsible, and can navigate a transaction with a little bit of push and pull. When all of the power is on one side of the transaction, it inevitably leads to um, a, a transaction that just ends up feeling lopsided and one party feels like they, they got the shaft. and and that's uh, that's not near as as nice as as sitting at the closing table with everybody uh, giving hugs and congratulations and feeling good about it when they walk out the door. All right. Well, I just got back from the bathroom. I left five minutes ago, and I'm glad to see that you kept the mics up the whole time. That was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Is that the pot calling the kettle black, Jim? Learning from the best. It was just there, so apparently. different for me right here. I just I felt like I was just. I was getting school. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I a, a couple things here. Number one, um, a unique situation came up this week um, where, not unique, a, a common situation came up, but it, it really struck me, um, and I wanted to talk with, with you about this today. My buddy's grandfather, who lives down in Encinitas, is selling his house. He's an older guy. I mean, I think he's almost 90 or something. And it's a two-story home. And, you know, are you familiar with Encinitas? Yeah, vaguely. I mean, it's on the coast in North San Diego County. It's pretty awesome. I mean, the houses are nice houses. And so it, it came up that he was selling a house. And, and he placed a phone call um, up here to kind of get a little bit of advice. And... All at the same time he called, he had uh, already scheduled an appointment with a real estate agent. And um, the real estate agent gave a little bit of a listing presentation, and ultimately he signed. And we had, I, I don't know anything about the Encinitas market. I just don't. Um, I don't know. It seems expensive to me. It's nice. It's coastal. It's great climate, whatever. It's a desirable neighborhood for sure. Um, that's all I really know. And it reminded me though, that people have to take some real care, I think, with the process that they go through in selecting a real estate agent, selecting, um, kind of settling on a listing price. I mean, you're in here talking about how critical it is that it comes out right. And, um, at the, some of my questions, uh, for my friend's grandfather were, you know, is it, how was the number arrived at? Was it just a, a person making a decision? Was there some sort of a, a group of persons that that came together and, and found consensus over a number? Uh, what confidence level you have in it? And then also, you know, and, and maybe less importantly, but did you get any other opinions or did you just simply, you know, take the first number that you heard from the first guy and, and how do you know if it's right or not? And um, so... 
I'm interested to hear, you know, how do you guys handle this at Patterson? Um, does does one agent have, is it generally the way in that industry that one person just goes out and, eh, yellow kitchen, outdated countertops, that bathroom's funky, but I like the pedestal sink, roomy garage, I like the travertine, 725. Is that how it works? I mean, I know obviously not, but I, I did want to just, I want to have you school me up a little bit on what you guys are doing to arrive at um, the list price of a home. All right. Well, first of all, it's worth saying that in the industry, what you, the, the example you just gave is the norm. I mean, it, typically uh, the person calls uh, an, a potential listing agent and says, hey, we're thinking about selling our house. Can you come out and tell us what it's worth and tell us what you do to sell it? And that person does that. They log on to the MLS, look at comps, come up with an opinion of value. They go out, they tell the seller what they think it's worth, what they'll do to sell it, and then the seller decides whether or not to, to list with them and generally whether or not to accept their price. Okay. Now, we don't uh, – at Patterson, we don't think that's the best um, approach. We've actually oh, – it's been a long evolution to, to get away from the industry standard in this regard, and it's one of our strong points. So it's, I'm, I'm tickled that you brought it up and then I get a chance to explain it on the radio. But we um, – we have a very collaborative model, and that's not normal for real estate. It, real estate is a really weird business. The The model is that a, a brokerage has a broker, and all of the agents are, operate under that broker's license. And that broker is responsible for the supervision of those agents, just like um, a, a manager would be in a normal business environment. What's different is that each of those agents in a, in a brokerage model is an independent contractor, and they're basically running their own business. So traditionally, even within a brokerage, the agents are competing against one another for, you know, for business. We don't think that that model serves the client well. So we've worked very hard to develop a collaborative model that looks a lot more like um, – the larger law firms operate than how the traditional real estate companies operate. And in so doing, we've been able to leverage the strength and insight of lots of different agents for each individual client, and we leverage that in the pricing model as well. So first of all, our philosophy is that when it comes to pricing, it's not our decision to make. It's the seller's home and they ultimately have complete control over where the price is set. We think it's our role to provide them with such good, robust, accurate, current data that they can't help but make a good decision when it comes to the pricing of their home. And so what we do is, is we price by committee, and we have um, a group of folks that we identify that specialize in, in whatever market segment the the specific piece of property is in and we have a group of folks that will go out independently analyze the home its strengths its weaknesses critical marketing issues and ultimately they will render an opinion of value which is really just what they would write an offer for if they were representing a buyer in today's market on that particular piece of property then the potential listing agent sits down with the seller, takes all of these analyses and go through them and talk about which ones are, are 
the most critical and seem to resonate most true to the seller and ultimately the seller then determines um, what they want to do with regards to pricing now going back to the example that you used um, I, I think it's important generally speaking to get more than one um, engage in in a conversation with more than one real estate agent because if you've engaged with somebody that is in practice in this traditional model that I've described then basically you've got one guy's opinion of value that you're that you're going with and trusting and there's no telling what you might be missing so I always would encourage sellers to talk to more than one agent find a way to gain um, diverse opinions about what the real value might be spend lots of time on your own learning about the market conditions and you really got to try to step away from the emotional side of it and and realize that whoever is going to buy your house doesn't really care that um, you know little Jimmy uh, took his first steps in in this room have you ever seen that thing going around the internet of um, it's like um, how an owner views the value of their home kind of thing and it's like this swank mansion with a pool and it just looks amazing and then it it goes on you know how others see it and then how the appraiser sees it kind of yeah, thing that's a great as, and it just degrades as it goes pretty soon the final image is like um a, a 10 foot like trailer <laughs> on a telephone pole yeah <laughs> shoved up in the air in the backyard of some swamp Oh, good times. Hey, it's 1046, so we got to do a commercial break. Um, we do have more to come here with Wes Burke. He's going to be with us, but I'd love to open up the phone lines here if you guys have any questions or comments um, of anything you've heard today or or even things off topic. We're, um, we're good at freestyling, so we'll take it from you. Um, give us a call here. Number to the studio is 543-8830, 543-8830. Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, you guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. was uh, wanting to just give you the opportunity. I don't want to come off as a beggar, but if you're interested in asking a question of myself or Wes, you can, 543-8830. I understand that you you just may be having trouble coming up with questions uh, worthy of asking. So in the event that you do, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Um, So... Uh, just to summarize that last little piece that we did, um, again, it was very West heavy, which I love. I caught up on email. I texted a couple friends. I now have plans for the afternoon, so thank you. Um, you guys do it differently, and it, I mean, and it's not by chance. You you designed uh, a listing presentation and a process for a pricing committee that's very different than the traditional model. So the next question is. How's it working and do people like it? Yeah, people love it. It's, you know, I I think one of the challenges about the traditional model is that sellers tend to be basically very confrontational and and prepared to do battle with the agent over price because they expect the agent to come in and give them some lowball value so that they can make a quick sell and earn a quick buck and well and aren't you just like some overpaid knucklehead that just hauls people around for one saturday and then makes like 40 grand of their hard-earned money yeah there's that too so um pricing this way first of all when we walk in and we tell the seller that that pricing is not our decision that makes them feel disarm them right out of the makes gate. Pretty feel it makes them feel pretty good. But and when we explain what we're going to do to educate them relative to the market conditions, then I think they they really start to understand that it, it's it's about empowering them to make good decisions, and that's our job. Um, you know, the we're a facilitator. These these aren't our homes that we're selling. They're they're your homes. And it's our job to come in and give you an education so that all the decisions you make along the way will be good decisions. And, and that's what this really em- empowers. Excellente. I love it. Yeah, it's fun. People like it. And we, we actually tracked it. And it's, it's a little bit challenging to track. But the first year that we implemented this um, practice, we, we tracked it, the sellers that that utilized this methodology versus the sellers that just either already had a number or the agent didn't implement the the pricing committee for whatever reason and we found that the homes that that we implemented the pricing committee on sold in about half the time that the traditionally priced houses did and for about four percent closer to the list value than did the other homes so i mean it proved to be successful even statistically Hmm. 
I I sometimes wonder why um, real estate hasn't gone the way of like eBay, where um, there's like an auction um, and people could like put in their bid and be told whether or not they were the highest bidder and the seller could have like a reserve. So another, it, like in, instead of your list price, that would basically kind of become your reserve or some percentage thereof. And then uh, in, a, in a way that's sort of transparent yet encourages real competition to allow people the opportunity to, to vie for winning. Because I got to tell you, I think, I think there's something there. And heck, maybe I'll start it and just become your competition. But, no, you you wouldn't be the first. That 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 model's out there. It's just not widely implemented. Why? Well, I think maybe maybe people weren't ready for it then. Maybe they weren't eBay conditioned the way they are today. I, I think there's a couple reasons. One, I think, is that people that that tend to um, go down that path oversimplify what a real estate transaction is really all about. So if what you described were utilized only for the acquisition of a buyer and then an agent was still in place to facilitate the transaction through to the finish line, it would make a lot more sense to me um, because the truth is once a, a property is priced, put in the MLS, and the marketing begins, that's really that's the easy part. Negotiating the deal with the buyer and getting it across the finish line, everything that happens f between those two points is where we earn our money. And trying to keep those pesky lenders on track. Yeah, I mean, the truth <laughs> is, and I, I hate to say this over the air in a way, but the truth is any monkey can list a property, stick it in the MLS, and if it's priced right, a buyer will come along. That's, there's not a lot of skill in, involved in that. Now, properties have different attributes that can be marketed in sophisticated ways to different audiences. But in a market like, like we're in right now, the vast majority of whether or not a property sells is dependent on one and only one thing, and that is, is it priced right? So once you get the buyer in place, and you know this as, as well as anybody, that's when the real fun begins. Oh, yeah. You start navigating things like the negotiation of repairs with the seller, the navigation of appraisals, the navigation of at the acquisition of money. I mean, I don't know how you guys do it. The, the, the process of obtaining a loan has gotten so difficult compared to when I got in this business. It is making everybody crazy. I don't know how you guys stay sane. You know, Wes, I, um, I do. I agree completely. It used to be, we used to joke that if you could fog a mirror, you could get a loan. And today you kind of have to be a pretty decent candidate for like being the next astronaut, um, to be able to get a loan. And um, not only do you have to be that to qualify, but to navigate to the end of the process, even if you're super well qualified, the things that they, they put you through, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, there it's. There's a lot that goes into it for sure. Um, you know, that being said, we talked a little bit earlier about um, 2013. One of the things that um, that I really am, have been trying to share with people too is that um, 2013, the first half of the year, um, and, and really probably 2012 was crazy. It was crazy for so many reasons. I mean, facing 
and we're still dealing with this today, but regulation just from every different angle. Um, if and and don't get me wrong, I'm not here to bellyache about the regulation. I think it's long overdue in the lending industry because it did just run amok, and we saw what happened. Uh, but regulation's been really difficult to to deal with, um, just in terms of making sure that your process is compliant. I mean, to put it in context a little bit, it, it largely due to the regulation. An underwriter, when I was underwriting loans uh, half a dozen years ago, was capable of underwriting. I, on a good day, like if I got in in the morning, had my coffee and banged it out, I would write somewhere between 15 and 30 files in a day. Um, today, a prize underwriter on staff would be in a good spot if they could get two done a day. So part of it is just really a bottleneck in getting things through the system. And and nobody wants to be told that they're just going to experience longer wait times. But, you know, additionally, um, the setup to make sure that everybody's in compliance and following the rules and using the correct disclosures and APR and all these kinds of things going into it correctly in the beginning, that was like throw it at the wall before and you put your best foot forward and it's going to get straightened out for the final docs. Today, your initial docs are really like your final docs is they'll hold you to most every term that you list in there. So, so much of the regulation and uh, Anyway, my bigger point is that things were so busy in dealing with the fact that the new process just takes so much longer that if there is a silver lining in today's market where, like you mentioned, things have slowed down a little bit. Is it still busy? Still a viable living to be made? Still a good industry? Sure it is. Um, there's not 8 and 10, 12 offers where people are slugging it out. We're not running like every loan officer is not doing 30 transactions a month like they used to. We're back to normal. And therefore, every file is getting um, more attention, better communication, getting through the system a little bit easier because there just isn't that bottleneck of so many people trying to, to ram through in one day. Um, so I do think that that's one of the things at the end of 2014, I think many, uh, many people will agree that the lending process feels easier and a little bit more simple. It was kind of compounded by the fact that we are just jamming so much through the system in a very tough lending environment. Um, so I, I do think it'll be a little bit better from that standpoint this year, but Hey, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I really do. I think that this year things are going to be a little bit slower but a little bit higher quality, and I'm looking forward to that. Hey, guys, it's about 11 o'clock here, so we got time to take a break. Uh, we're going to be out for a few minutes, so take this opportunity to go freshen up your coffee or water the dog, whatever you got to do. we got another hour yet to come, and i got a great guest coming on. Um, we have Craig Darnell, who's coming in from Blakes and Blakesley to share with us some of his expertise. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters after this short break.
All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. It's just 5 after 11. We've got a whole other hour to go. Jim's trying to make the phone ring for you, buddy. Oh, yeah, call me. (laughs) Call me anytime, any day or night. I got a, like, out of Kmart when I was a kid. uh, I bought, um, you know, they got those bins in the aisle of, like, like you got to pick through them for an hour to to find, uh, you know, what you're looking for. It was all CDs for, like, a (laughs) dollar. I bought a dollar CD of uh, Pat Benatar. Um, it was like a Pat Benatar and uh, who was the other artist on there? Uh, I forget now. Um, Probably Hart. Blondie. No, Blondie, exactly. <laughs> there you go. That was and, Blondie. And it was like a right 50-50. There. That's why that song was on there. I feel a Pat <laughs> Benatar bit coming out of the next And break. I was like... <laughs> I thought it was so cool, and now I'm like, I, I don't ever want to hear any of those songs again. Oh, you might be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, uh, for this next hour, we've got Craig Darnell joining us, um, and Craig's been on the show before. Yep. So thanks again for coming in. It's always great to have you. You're welcome. Um, I I feel like our relationship now is just getting a little bit better. It's been a couple years right. now that I've known you. Our company, um, you're the, uh, I, I don't know, if, is it correct to call you our administrator? You're not, are you our No, not the now? administrator. The, um, that, that would deal more with like a, a TPA service, yeah. but, but just the financial planner or financial advisor for the yeah. plan. So taking care of our plan for our company, and um, it's been really cool. In fact, something else to check into. I don't know how you guys are, but I got right. my... Uh, when I get home, I get my iPad out. I got my little things I check out, check in on my teams and my bands, and then I check in on my different accounts. And I love looking, uh, pull up the American funds and check out this. Because just kind of a side count that we started up, money that um, right. I don't feel like I even see. It gets deducted from my paycheck and goes in there. And I think we've been doing it with you for what? Has it been a year and a half now or yeah, something? Yeah, getting on close to two years. Yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah, right around there. And um, so I, I just pulled it up yesterday because I had to complete a personal financial statement for a new uh, warehouse line right. we're getting. So I had to like dig it out. And I was like, Jerry got 25 grand in this thing. That's pretty sweet. I mean, well, last year was a really good year for the market. And I was just thinking about it a second ago when the last time I was on the show was around November, October, November of 2012. And we were talking about Armageddon, the fiscal cliff. Hell yeah. Is the world going to end in the in whether regarding taxes or investments or where's the world going to be? And now we look back and I bet how many people remember that time now that 2013 occurred and it was one of the best years in the last 15 or 17 years. Yeah, that's a funny one. Dan and I sit around and we like we got these like fun little kind of insider jokes about that stuff. Because, you know, I feel like the public at large doesn't actually know that much about what's going on in the economy and stuff like that. And um, at the very beginning of 2012, my prediction was that the Dow would close near 17,000. That's pretty good. And the reason my sole justification, like while smirking, was that, <laughs> hey, man, we got this stimulus. It's like we're punch drunk on free money and it's mm-hmm. getting kicked and pushed into every segment of the market. And as long as that's the case, this thing's got nowhere to go but up. And I really got a thrill out of when the taper talk began to see those markets going, uh, see the like see the Dow falling because they're like, hey, absent of the 
stimulus, you know, it might the party might draw <laughs> to an end. And right. then you start going, hey, well, maybe the stimulus has gone on a little long if talk about polling it begins to tank, you know, mm-hmm. the, the futures and in everything in the equities. It's kind of a trip. So there's definitely what yeah, what a great year it's right. shaped up to be. There's no question about it. Um and interestingly enough, it nearly hit it, uh almost hit that seventeen thousand mark. Um I think this year we we on the show we staged our um, we staged all of our opinions about what might happen between Dan and I and, mm-hmm. and I I called the doubt twenty thousand for this year. That's what I think is going to happen in spite of the tapering and stuff because to some degree I think the tapering has sort of hampered the the market's ability to truly grow because of that uncertainty and I do think if if the tapering begins and maybe even completes this year mm-hmm. without having a big splash that it will give everybody the confidence to say hey maybe, maybe this thing is standing on its own and then we could see some real growth as we look towards a brighter tomorrow we'll see right. i don't know well my big thing i mean i started talking with a lot of my clients about it a little over a year ago and it wasn't so much that the u.s economy or the u.s stock market was doing so well because of the u.s economy per se, because we're seeing it just be a plow horse, one and a half, two, two and a half percent per year. I still really believe it's mostly of the emerging markets. It's India, China, it's Latin America, South America, now parts of Africa, the Middle East. And it's the middle class that's growing in those areas that they're now wanting to buy toilet paper, toothpaste. They want appliances. They want a Samsung, an Apple. They want, you know, the refrigerator in their house now because they have electricity. I mean, all those basic things. And we're finding that it's mostly U.S. companies or big conglomerates or it's the big conglomerates in Europe that are going into those areas. Interesting. Yeah. So then we're finding that they're not having to necessarily hire a lot of new employees here in the U.S. So we're not seeing unemployment numbers change that much heavy with cash because they're selling the same old product just to that many more people the the numbers i came across and these may not be exactly right i mean i'm going to be pretty close though i saw this around november december of last year the study looked at the middle class in like the developed world going back to 1980 and developed world being u.s parts of europe like germany france uk japan and stuff Back in 1980, all of the middle class combined to be about 500 million people. Today, it's about 700 million. In the emerging markets, the China, India, Russia, Brazil, you name it, they were under 100 million back in 1980. They're about 1.7 billion now. They're the new consumer. It's not really the middle class that's in the US where we were so driven on consumption for all those years, it's these other places that now have people with disposable income and they want what we have yeah. and we're selling it to them. Sure. So the companies are doing really great as a result of it. Cool. Yeah. So it's not just because of the stimulus. No. <laughs> the stimulus no. didn't hurt though, right? It helped those no. guys tool up. It helped them to borrow and, and even, I mean, I know there no. are big companies that do um, use lines of credit to make payroll. So there, right. there's certainly some advantage to the low rates and the and even the stimulus I think and stuff going one on. One of the best examples of of seeing how a big business. I mean, everybody knows Apple, and Apple. I, I saw now. This is a couple of years ago where the ballooning of the cash on hand that most big corporations had, their balance sheets became amazing. Well, Apple was the largest. They have about $130 billion in cash. 
That's ridiculous. It's an amazing amount of money for a company. We should worth, start a war with Apple. Right? <laughs> $130 billion. They wanted to pay a dividend this last year to their, their shareholders, which they finally did. They didn't use any of their cash. What they did was they borrowed it. They issued a corporate bond for about $30 billion. They were paying only maybe 4% interest on it. And then they basically gave the dividend from that source and of money because it was still cheap money. On the cash. And they're still sitting on $130 billion in cash. Well, because one kind of has to wonder, like uh, Apple's stock price has been pretty amazing depending on when you got in. Right. I know there was some latecomers at the dance. That when are, they bought it 700 yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but part of the value or perceived value of their company is their balance sheet being as large as it is. And the fact that they don't have to dip into that but can fit something like a, a $30 billion liability or something, it, well, it sort of still gives the percept the perceived value of the company as higher than if had they just liquidated the money. Right. I mean, we find now that 2008, I mean, not only shook up, I mean, individuals' pocketbooks and, and really wanted to make sure they had appropriate budgets and stuff, corporations did just the same thing. They wanted to make sure that they weren't going to be squeezed again because sure. a lot of them that used lines of credit, that those lines of credit went away yeah. for doing their everyday business like payroll. It could be buying their products um, for developing new things. It could be mergers and acquisitions. Now they feel, okay, we're taking the profits of the last couple of years as the markets have been improving and they're using those profits to build up their cash reserves. So that way, if another 2008 hits again, they're hopefully not going to see the same kind of drop or hurt. Right. So, so I think, I mean, things, unfortunately, though, we're seeing that the unemployment figures aren't changing very much because they're not using that cash to really increase payrolls, develop new products and things. They're really holding on to it because healthcare concerns, tax concerns, all the other things that we talked about last year. How now can the government incent these companies to let go of their money? Oh, tax rates. There we go. Let's raise taxes. No, <laughs> no, reduce them. Oh, it, uh, yeah. got it. Okay. I mean, on the corporate side, we have the highest corporate tax rate in the developed world. I mean, 35%. That's why Apple didn't bring the money back. Most of that money is about $100 billion of it is overseas. And so they realized if they brought it back to the U.S., they'd have to pay income taxes on it. And they who felt, wants to pay $35 billion? Right, Exactly. <laughs> <I know. laughs> That's a lot of money. $100 That's right. So they'll pay the little bit of interest on the bond that they issued to keep the cash overseas and not pay the taxes. I bet if they lowered the tax rate, a lot of the monies from these big conglomerates, the Coca-Colas, Johnson & Johnsons and stuff that's overseas, would maybe come back into the U.S. That's a, a good point, though, independent of how successful these companies are doing and, and why they're doing so well. You still have to have money that's that comes into the stock market to, to see the kind of results that we're seeing. And right. One of the things uh, over the previous few years that I've always that I've been hearing a lot about is a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines and then as things started to heat up um, we saw a lot of it move into real estate actually and now I'm starting to hear that a lot of the institutional money that came into real estate is starting to come out of real estate and I I have to wonder if not if they aren't looking at the strength of the of the market and think maybe it's time to start playing um, that side of the yeah I wouldn't again. be surprised that they are because we're finding that with one of the valuations that we usually use to see if a company is worth buying or not or an investment is worth having or not is the P.E. ratio, price to earnings. And back in 1999, at the peak of the market then, P.E. ratios were so out of whack. They were the prices of the stocks were so high and the companies were not generating very many earnings. Right. The ratio was about 28 times earning. I mean, the historic average when you look at like each decade is about 17 times earnings. 2013, it was 13 times earnings. 
even with the stock market being at all-time highs. So still undervalued compared to earnings. Yes, earnings were huge. And that's mainly because a lot of the things that they saw over the last five years. And to make the point about, I mean, the ballooning balance sheets and how much is in cash, pre-recession, I mean, so going back to 2007, between all the bank accounts, checking, savings, money markets, there was about a trillion dollars in the U.S. It ballooned by 2009 to four and a half trillion dollars. Today, it's still at about four trillion. The money really hasn't moved that much. There's been little bits and drabs that we've been seeing. The bulk of it's still sitting on the sidelines. And I'm like, where is it going to go? It's got to go somewhere. I brought, a, I brought a little snippet in here today. I wasn't sure where I was going to fit it in, but now I'm happy to have it. <laughs> um, banks are growing. Um, and, and I got to wonder if this is despite the U.S. government's wishes. Um, if nothing else, you guys recall several years ago when um, Obama, it was kind of like, um, to me, it almost lives on like the, you know, I don't eat broccoli kind of thing that we got <laughs> back in the day. But um, Obama was saying, hey, these banks are too big and, right. they, and we need to make a, a concerted effort to reduce their balance sheets and make it to where any one bank isn't holding so much that we can be damaged by their failure. Um, yeah, so banks are growing today. The top five U.S. banks have increased their market share to 44% of all U.S. industry assets. And it brought in J.P. Morgan Chase, right. $2.5 trillion. Bank of America, $2.2 trillion. Citi, $2.1 trillion. Wells Fargo, $1.5 trillion. I think it backfired on them because when they did that Frank Dodd legislation, they really felt that that was going to, I mean, doing the increased regulations, kind of squeeze the banks a little, make them more efficient, make them smaller and stuff. But what ended up happening, a lot of the small community banks or regional banks got gobbled up by the big right. banks. Yeah. They went, we can't afford all of these re regulations. That's the thing the is I think that it, at the smaller scale, and this is what many mortgage companies are facing today, is can you afford the compliance staff that you need right. to navigate the current environment? And the answer when you're small enough is really not. No. Um, and that's where these bigger banks or bigger firms have a little bit of an edge is they can afford to have a, a compliance team that's making sure to, to navigate the company through the pitfalls. And yeah, with with all of the um, the Dodd-Frank stuff, and now we have the Consumer Finance Protection right. Bureau, which is seems to have unusually long arms and really no oversight from what I could tell at this point. The, the funding and payroll that they're receiving, and there just seems to be no lines they're not crossing as far as industry to industry to, to, to come in, and it, it really just trips me out. But yeah, and another thing that happened here, you can't forget, is that we had um, the stress tests. These banks yes. were forced to fatten their balance sheets because they, I forget now, it's been a couple of years since the stress tests were all the rage, but it was something like have enough assets on hand to um, be able to survive um, a 10% unemployment rate, a 50% drop in the Dow, um, what all these kind of different metrics that that tried to sort of recreate some of the worst of the worst that we've seen of our generation, which was when we suffered those extremes in 2008. Um, and so now can they survive it with the money they have on hand? Well, and maybe this was, so. Well, and this was, I think, an, another reason why we saw a, a tightening of the lending practices. 
because the companies themselves, the banks are, are suddenly being forced to say now have 30% instead of 10% in reserves, just as an example. And well, where's that money going to come from? They just got to build it up through their margins and stuff. So they're not going to be lending as much because they got to keep more on hand. So now that they're really at those points, are we going to start seeing increased lending or I don't know. I really don't. Yeah, I doubt it. I mean, if anything, yesterday, Friday marked the beginning of um, the the QM, which is the, the qualified mortgage thing. And, and I think I've, to the general public, it's probably a waste to talk about. It doesn't have the same impact as um, as it would have had in 2006 because it gets rid of negatively amortizing loans. It gets rid of some uh, interest-only loans. It gets rid of... Um, predatory lending type of things where loan officers are making exorbitant commissions right. on people that are uh, unknowing, unsuspecting. A um, lot of these kinds of things that it doesn't surprise me, you know, like if you need to change the course of a super tanker, you have to begin turning the wheel long before the bow comes around. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of these regulations and stuff that are we're just seeing implemented yesterday are a desire to keep from you know what happened in 2006 from happening again because here's the reality of it is uh we're really really um forgetful in oh, yeah. terms of the cycles yeah, people for, say yes. oh yeah no you'll never use your house as an atm ever again will you oh no never i i'll never do that again and then before too long the same exact thing happens again i mean history repeats itself and now there's regulations in place that are going to prevent that from happening in doing so, there's also been this like kind of benchmark set now in terms of debt to income ratio mm -hmm. and ability to repay, things like this, where that's gonna um, that's gonna prevent banks from being able to make it easier to borrow, right? right. Right. So I don't know that we're really likely to see increased lending activity because the banks are able to um, loosen their standards at all. However, I've this has been one of my professional mantras here. Never underestimate self-preservation, a very oh. <laughs> powerful thing. Right. And when you see these banks begin to lose profits, especially in the mortgage uh, mortgages have been a, a big source of profits over the last few years for even of these top banks that named here today. Um, when they are absent of 50% of the volume, um, which they are right now, they are. They're going to have to figure out how to either make more money per transaction or to um, begin to somehow drum up more business either creative products that are compliant and and do have some standards that are maybe a little bit more right. accepting um or in most cases just remove their overlays and offer well, the programs to as step they in exist. a little i've been seeing for about a year now a lot of the big hedge funds mutual fund managers across the board um pension funds where in a lot of their large cap funds they're definitely overweighting 30 plus percent in financials. And I think the reason behind it is interest rates. They feel if interest rates are going to go up, the margins of the banks are going to increase. If they're able to keep, if they're able to keep basically their overhead relatively the same, get a higher interest rate on the mortgage they're giving away. Do you subscribe the, to that though? How do you feel about that? Because this interesting thing, I'm glad you brought this up because it, it here's how here's where the the shoe drops with us okay right. 
Um, overall, the compliance environment has increased costs dramatically. True. The increase in interest rates has has totally been the wet blanket on the the refi craze that was going on. I mean, yeah. refi boom, whatever you want to call it. Pretty much, so many people refied. The volume was just through the roof. So, in in a year ago, mm -hmm. going back to just like a calendar year ago, we were at um, a three and a quarter interest rate. 85% of the loans being originated were refinanced loans. And this is true nationally. Yeah. Um, in spite of tax breaks and all these things for um, home buyers to come out and buy, um, home buyer tax credits, new build credits, all these kinds of things that had gone on for the last few years, it was it paled in comparison to the refinance volume. Today, the business is about 60% purchase and 40% mm -hmm. refi. Mm -hmm. Um, the 40% refi are people refining for a variety of reasons, oftentimes from lower rates into higher rates because they ran up their credit cards or something else. Trying to pull it out the equity. Yeah, or get out of the mortgage insurance, get out the equity for a business or something else. Right. Um, they have a plan to sell it in a couple of years because now it's going up at 15% a year and that's all they've been waiting for. I mean, it's been a whole variety of things. I've actually done several cash out refinances for people that bought homes in 2010 that are suddenly worth $100,000 more, and they'd love to have that cash to uh, do whatever, you know, to buy a jet boat to go to the river. We're seeing that kind of stuff yeah. already. So my point is with that great reduction in volume coupled with the fact that the compliance costs are, are almost strangling, um, there's only really two choices here, push up volume or drive up profit margins. But see, yes. the profit margins here, um, what you've got is self-preservation. There are these companies, and, and it's pretty well split right now. I have a unique view of this as a, a wholesale lender and also a direct lender. We represent 50 different banks around the country. We now represent ourselves as a bank. So. When you come out and say, hey, I, I'm here to, to buy the market because I need to drive my volume up, the only way you can do this is by offering a lower profit margin True. for your own terms to, to win the Price business the from other people. Right. So in the end of the day, what these banks need to compete with the higher cost of compliance is a higher profit per loan. But what they're actually doing in order to keep the back rooms full of incoming loans is having to undercut the competition. It's it's been and, and and I think part of the reason is, um, flip on the TV, you watch a golf channel for a day. Do you guys watch a golf channel? Yeah. Uh, what are you gonna see? Cash call, Quicken, um, all these. There's all these mm -hmm. different loans that are they're all advertising. Hey, come do us a loan. We got the best deals over here. Gonna get the great service. It's made simple, lowest interest rates. So I think a lot of companies are out and they've saturated the market because um, two years ago. When interest rates were so low, we used to say the fish were jumping in the boat. Yeah. Okay, well, as a business owner that is in the loan business, um, I need more boats in the water. Huh. Today, the fish are not jumping in the boat. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, um, some of these boats are being abandoned, being pulled out. They're joining forces, all this. I'm just, but I think the blow to the financials is going to come. Um, I think we'll see it in the in the fourth quarter earnings and then first quarter earnings. We're we're gonna see them try to correct this and really miss the um, the income that they had from these 
crazy low rates pushing crazy high volume. And I, but I would come back and say that during that time period, I think it's already been priced in the increased cost that they have for compliance issues and things. Um, I also feel that a lot of the revenues that have been generated from that increased volume, excess volume on the, the refinance side and stuff was offset though by a lot of their lawsuits. They were, ha I mean, thinking about all the things regarding the subprime loans, I mean, Bank of America yeah. buying countrywide. I mean, so I still feel that their overall bottom line was less. I don't think, I mean, if interest rates go up, it's, I don't think it's going to be that one bank is going to choose to raise rates to try to increase their margin. They're going to be forced to because kind of everybody across the board is doing it. Hey, we're going to go ahead and take a commercial break here at the middle of the hour. Take some time out to thank the sponsors. I think both you gentlemen have ads running. So mm -hmm, we'll invite you all to listen, pay close attention. These are businesses that we do believe in and uh, would like you to do business as well. So stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
Was this on that album, Jay? Yeah. Totally. She came back. You betcha. <laughs> I love that. This is great. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. You betcha. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back. It's just after 1130 now. I still got these two gentlemen in here. Um, been talking about, like, the bank stuff. I'm over it. I, right. They're, um, I mean, no disrespect intended. I, I, I didn't mean to derail your thread or something. Um, we'll see, man. Right, and this is kind of the beauty of the market too. However, you want to look at it, uh, my my gut tells me that these guys are going to be absent of a major revenue piece. Maybe I didn't take into consideration that they're also going to be absent of, or maybe just passed a lot of fine settlement, um, all that kind of stuff. Maybe it's enough. I, I'm not sure if it, if it's equally offsetting, though. And but, I'm not hey. making an endorsement to go buy financials. <laughs> I want to say that, too. <laughs> More just an observation of seeing where the big places, the hedge funds and the mutual funds, are putting their money. Yeah. And they're putting it in oh, financials. I mean, if I had a time machine, there's so much I'd do. But going back to, like, just if you bought only yeah. financials a few years ago, right. just loaded. At, you, could, you should have taken cash advances on your credit cards. Oh, God. <laughs> to put in, to buy more yeah. stock in like city. Let's and, make sure that's not oh, a New Year's resolution. No, yeah. definitely okay. not. But I mean, I'm telling you, it's just it's crazy how well they've done. Um, and all in all, I mean, at some point you kind of do have to kick back and just commend the feds. They've done a good job of of helping see us through this. Um, uh, but there's two sides to that coin too, because I mean. We don't know what the other side would have been like right? if they didn't do it. We could have maybe gotten through it just the same or better or worse. Or it Who knows? could have been deeper and way more right. painful. Who Nobody knows? really knows. Yeah. But all in all, though, it, you know, life today seems what pretty is. good. And you can look at consumer confidence. A lot better than what it was four years ago, five years ago. Yeah, right. definitely. So, hey, you know, I wanted to give you an opportunity. Um, well, all right. Hang on. I'm, I'm going to give you your opportunity in a minute. I want to invite you guys, if you'd like to call in and ask a question, share a comment or a concern, you can. 543-8830 is the number. 543-8830. Um, let's take a first call here. We got Patty calling from San Luis Obispo. Good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Hello. Um, I'm not sure if this is the appropriate venue, but I thought since you guys are smart about financial things, I'd just take your brains a little. Okay. And if sure. it's not right, you can just tell me no thank you. All right. Um I'm having trouble um, with the insurance mess with Obamacare, and I got a letter from my Anthem Blue Cross that my insurance is going to go up um, to $539 a month on January 1st, and I'm single. I don't get vision or dental with it, so I had to cancel it, and so I went on the covered care site to see what California would offer, and I don't make enough money um, to get the Obamacare either. They said I would only qualify for Medi-Cal. Mm, wow. So I checked that, and 
my doctor doesn't even take Medi-Cal, so I, I wasn't sure right. if you guys have any brilliant ideas. A lot of it really changed. That if, if I could just step in and give some some point of view. Uh, hi, Patty. It's Craig Darnell, the one with Blakesley and Blakesley, the financial planner. And okay. and I, my actual suggestion would be, I mean, we've seen that there's been so many changes in the insurance landscape, of course, over just the last year. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I actually was one of those individuals, too, that got a letter. Um, I had switched over my policy mid-year last year um, to try to become a little more, make sure it was compliant and stuff. And then November, I get a letter just the same from Blue Cross that says I'm canceled as of January 1st. It was oh. nice, but they let me get into the new policy. But my suggestion was going to be, number one, really going to one of the local professionals that really deal with Obamacare. Oh. I mean, I found that there are, are a couple that are in our area that, that are highly specialized. Engel and Associates, um, Scott Engel, he's been in business here for a little over 30 years, is an amazing person to talk to. Morrison Garitano is another outfit. They're one of the largest in the area. They have about 100 employees and been here for over 100 years. Um, or you could look at Susan Polk. Really, okay. those three, they they definitely, all they do is they specialize in insurance, and they have really been kind of going through this landscape and making sure they can help all their customers. I was going to say okay. the exact same thing. It's it's just something that you don't want to go alone. And the other thing that, that you should know about this is that um, health insurance is such that the brokers that you're dealing with, if you go to one of these firms, you're not paying an increased cost to be working with them. No. So in, in utilizing their services and help getting help to navigate that, uh, it'll be a tremendous load off for you. Um, I know that if you call any one of those three firms, uh, you're going to be in good hands and we'll get the, the straight talk about what to do. And I'm right. certain there are better options than then kind of, I mean, it, it almost feels like you've like, you know, just bounced down through and have landed in the, you know, the one hole where you're, you, you have very little hope. But I do think that if you get a hold of one of those firms, they'll and fix you up. And going through a broker too, they're going to be able to try to look at all the different products that are available through California, whether it be Blue Shield, Blue Cross, Aetna, Cigna, I mean, you name it. They're going to have the full wide variety of options as opposed to going to a specific agency that might only deal in Blue Cross are going to just give you information about their product. Yep. Okay. Yep. You know, I would never have thought to do this. This is great. Cool. Oh hey, gosh. Patty, thanks for your call today. And I Thank hope you. that even other people listening have, have um, gleaned a little insight from your call. So thank you. Very good. Thank you so much. Thanks, Patty. Bye-bye. The uh, healthcare thing's been kind of a tricky one. Um, I think we need a whole show to dedicate to that. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm totally ready to get all into it. But, hey, I did want to ask you, it's, um, it's a new year, and I'm curious to know from a however-you-want-to-approach-it standpoint, what do you have to say about the fact that we're in the first month of this new year? Well, I, I had a couple of things. I mean, a lot of people are always going to ask me what I feel about the markets, and to put it really bluntly, I think this is going to be a good year for the market. I don't want to make any specific prediction. I mean, it's funny, in our office, we'll end up like seeing where the Dow might be, and we all put it in a hat, and then we look at it at the end of the year, nice. which is pretty cool. So we're going to see how that ended up for this last year in, in probably a week or two. Um, do you think but, you won? 
I'd like to. <laughs> I have, I'm usually the overly optimistic person. Are you? <laughs> I find it in the competition, but um, but I really wanted. Um, I, I see that if we want to take another. No, go ahead. Or, I want But I really feel that yeah, this is definitely going to be a, a, a pretty good year for the market. There doesn't seem to be many headwinds, really, for the marketplace. I mean, people that might be invested in in certain types of bonds that are treasuries specifically that might be really hurt if interest rates start moving may want to consider talking with their advisor or their professional about rebalancing things. Right. But I'm not a huge person to put shift everything to one part of the market or the other. Keep a good balance, but make sure you understand what you're in. And I think the bonds are the area right now that might be of risk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Bill Gross. I mean, he's been all over the news oh, lately. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with Pimco. Yeah, been making some uh, some moves that may not have shaped up as well as he hoped. <laughs> hey, uh, we do have another phone call to get to. We have Dave calling from Oceano. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Good, Dave. Yeah. Uh, Dan, actually. Oh, Dan? Dan, he typed yeah. it wrong at the teleprompter. Dan. <laughs> Boy, no, this, uh, um, well, stock market thing. Uh, I'm kicking myself that uh, I sold my... Uh, my Sirius satellite had about 6,000 shares of that I sold. I thought I made a killing when I sold it for like 30 cents a share. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oops. But at any rate, uh, you were talking about that health insurance thing. I went on that, you know, covered California. Right. You know, signed up, got an account and everything. And then about the time I got that and started looking around, I got a uh, letter from Matt Kokanen, who uh, sold me my uh, blue, uh, my Blue Cross HSA, okay, which worked out pretty good. He said, "Hey, you know, this thing may last, may not last, but give us a call." And man, I didn't have to do a darn thing. I just called him, and uh, that's it. Called him, you know. I faxed over a thing on my, uh, on my, uh, you know, the uh, my uh, income tax. He goes, "Man, here's you know, here's the plan." to get and you know he switched me over to blue shield and man it's saving me a bunch of money well we find i mean just just a, a kind of a perspective for those that are listening an hsa plan like you mentioned we saw i mean i think quite a few people go to those types of plans because they end up being where you have a higher deductible which ended up lowering your your monthly premium but then you have a bank account on the side that you can put money into tax deductible that you're able to withdraw tax-free when you have certain medical expenses, whether it be at the pharmacy or going to the doctor for a co-payment and things. So it becomes a, a much more affordable plan, but it really only works for those that are dedicated enough to do the savings on the well, side you know, That's because right. of the higher deductible. Great because, you know, I had to have a hernia operation, and that would have cost me a ton of money. And I had about 12000 bucks I socked away for tax reasons. Right. And now I could have got an HSA one, but in all reality, looking at it, uh, going for a little bit better instead of getting out of the you know, bronze and going into the silver, it actually makes more sense. Well, I think a point is, is that, I mean, everybody's a little bit different based on their own personal situation, their own finances, their own health conditions. And, and again, going back to the point that we made with Patty, that visiting a local professional, if you don't already have one, or if your employer doesn't provide a plan for you, and talking to one of those professionals to see what plan really fits for you and to help navigate, I mean, all the things that are going on in the marketplace. You betcha. There's a whole bunch of things there. But, man, I'll tell you, that was smooth. And, uh, I mean, it was like, you know, five minutes on the phone, did that thing, and I've got my coverage, and I'm happy with it, and it's going to work great. Plus, I can still use my HSA up until it's gone. Right. Yep. 
So that's cool. But at any rate, I just want to throw one more Thanks. name out there. The guy is really good. Thanks, and Dan. On, and he's on the ball. Appreciate it. All right. Hey, I love you guys' show. Thank you. Keep up the good work. All right. Will Bye. do. Thanks. Um, HSA, all that fancy stuff you all talked about, socking away money, all that right. kind of thing. Epic. You know what my favorite thing about the HSA is? What's that? It incents people to care more about what they run to the doctor for. Because if you don't spend the money out of the HSA, it becomes retirement money that you can get out later. So it creates some user responsibility in like management of their health care is to say, hey, you know, if I am a less impact into the system here and spend less, I'm actually saving for myself. And it, it instead of having a $10 copay where you run in for a hangnail, this is something that I think I think causes people to use the healthcare system a little bit more responsibly, which we would all benefit from. I'd agree. I mean, it's very different from the old plans that they were called MSAs or medical savings accounts. And those were the use it or lose it by December 31st. And people would just suddenly towards the end of the year. I got a hangnail. Okay, I'm going in there and just charging the credit card and the medical services. But HSAs roll over every year. But I I was kind of surprised, though. I got rid of my HSA last year. Actually, kept one for my wife, and um, and I thought I thought a lot of these HSAs are going to get priced out and squashed now on account of the higher deductible type of thing is against what the Affordable Care Act ultimately right. intends to eliminate. Right. So who knows? Kind of crazy. He mentioned being upset about some stock or other. As long as we're talking about <laughs> big mistakes made in 2013. Um, uh, have this like fun money account in Scott trade where it's, it's, and it, it, let me tell you, this account started out with 400 bucks. Okay. Just like, just stupid would take 400 bucks literally. And at the time it was financials, just say buying that, right. Just, just that hundred percent, every, as many shares as we could get for that. Just Dan <laughs> and I, we would just buy it. And then few months later, you know, for the Citigroup or Bank of America or something, it would be double and we'd dump it. Sit in cash for a little while. Something else come along. I told him, I said, oh, we should buy Netflix. And we did it. Jumped. Made some money. Uh, just been fun. Uh, we got into Cree a year and a half, two years ago for a buddy of mine that's an engineer. If you guys have been through Home Depot lately, they make like every LED light oh, in the nation okay. now. Okay. Said Cree is going to blow up, get in there and buy your Cree stock. And I got in there and I looked at it. It, was, it had come from five bucks a share and was at like 22 or something. And I thought, that's already pretty big growth. And said, I'm just telling you that they've, they've got manufacturing to a point where they're going to be able to like cut their manufacturing costs in more than half. And when that news hits the street, this stuff's going right. off. They're going to be able to put bulbs in Home Depot for people to begin switching to LEDs. I said, all right. So <laughs> by the time we got in and made the transaction, was at like 28 bucks a share? So again, everything we had in this account, 100% in decree. <laughs> Month and a half later, this stupid thing was back to 20 bucks, and we were just going, you got to be kidding me. We just lost a third of the fun money um, over, like, ebb and flow. Dumb, it's, Terry it's... gave us this dumb advice, <laughs> and now um, Cree, shortly thereafter, 
had some pretty sweet announcements and made it in every store in the nation. And today, the Cree stock sits at $67 a share. Wow. So um, we, we watched it all the way back to where we could, like, cover our trade price and be and just and get out exactly where we got it <laughs> and boy was that foolish we would have doubled up more than doubled up had we just stuck with it so originally some lesson here put the money in and stop paying attention but yes right just buy and hold it's not a that's and, one and of I'm the things, smarter than that, you guys. I know these principles. That's one of the things I noticed. In I would say a change over at least the last five six years. That when I would be going to do um, meetings, whether it be meetings at corporations, um, I would go out to even do things on at the schools and stuff. I found that like as I was getting ready for the meeting or standing up in front of the class or whatever it was. Next thing you know, everybody had their iPhone out, their their Droid, whatever it was. They're looking at their accounts. They're <laughs> checking their E-Trade. They're doing this. And I'm thinking, this was never the way five years before that. Right. And now the access to information, I think, is making people more antsy about what they're seeing. And they're reacting so much quicker to the data, right. whether they understand the data or not. And I think that makes it for a more volatile market oh, totally. o- overall. Yeah. I mean, because they see like a slight, ch- oh my gosh, my account is down by one quarter of 1% today. I maybe need to dump it right. or something. It's that kind of rationale. See, and I kind of thought that maybe that, that that dumb day trader like that that's just making all these emotional bets and buys and sells and stuff is going to damage the market in some way. But it turns out that the volume of like the individual trader stuff makes up like percents of the overall. That's so right. It really right. can't. But you can certainly hurt yourself by being a knucklehead like that. Yes. But see money makes me emotional man and i just lose a little bit of my logic it's like you guys remember big perm right he said you play with my money you're playing with my emotion and that's how i feel when i look at it yeah you caught the friday reference i i look at it though and i watch these things and it just it it shakes me i mean i and everything i know about it was so when that stock i bought at 30 and terry bought some more at 30 his his initial blended buy rate was at like 18 bucks or something and then when it went down to like 22 and i was like oh i can't wait for this to go back to 30 so i'm gonna dump it he was buying more and you know and then yeah and his his rate because he had just bought he bought some at 10 and some at 30 and now he's buying some at 20 believed in the long term of the business and Sure enough, does it pay off? You bet. That's um, the Berkshire Hathaway or Warren Buffett's philosophy. Yeah. If it's a great company, it's a great company usually all the time. And if you could buy it at discounts when other people are selling because they see some Get it. kind of information in the market that caused it to drop 5%, 10%, buy more. Right. That's pretty crazy stuff, man. That The market stuff is fun. Um, and I think that's one of the big differences in housing, Wes, is that if there was a ticker on your front porch, oh. <laughs> you know, drive down the street looking at everybody, well, you'd have a lot, lot, a nicer landscape around town. I started to tell you this earlier. Yeah. People would be keeping them clean. Uh, I got my weeds cut. Look at my ticker going up. <laughs> I put in some pavers. Suddenly I'm back in the green. Everyone else around me is going red. The, uh, there's a house for sale on my street. And um, so I'm like, there's been a few sales in there lately. And the last couple have been like, sweet. If that thing sold for that, I'm in good shape. This one's like, 
uh, almost 50% larger than mine. It's on like four times as much land. Things listed for like 10 G's less than I bought mine for a year ago. Now, it's a bank-owned home, right? right. I don't know why it's just sitting there because it looks to me, I mean, it's a beater for sure. It's got like holes in the walls and the carpet looks like it came out of like, you know, yeah, it is. It's not a like good looking. Yeah, the whole thing just needs work and to be cleaned up and all that. And I'm sitting here like emotionally wrestling with like this listing three doors down going, well, are you going to sell it's, your house? It's probably tomorrow? undervalued by like a hundred grand because it's like all you know beat up and stuff. And I'm reminding myself about condition adjustments and this that, and the other. And then I'm like, I like kind of snap out of it for a minute, and I'm like, I'm having this like emotional dialogue in my own head about something that I have absolutely no control over. And right. why am I even bothering myself with very little about interest things? in anyway? You're not no, going and anywhere. I'm not selling my house for. I mean, I don't have plans to maybe ever. I don't think it's my retirement home, but it's a perfect house for us. But the funny thing is, it's just some little indication of this impacts me in some way that it actually really doesn't. And I'm like, well, I'm getting wound up myself, and I, I do this stuff for a living. Well, I think you should buy the house, Jay, re rehab it, and resell it at a premium to you know preserve, right? preserve the values in your neighborhood. <laughs> You'd be doing all your neighbors a favor. Will you put and in, yourself put in a hundred grand with me and we'll do it. All right, let's go do it. You don't have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're actually hitting on a good point though, too, is maybe in 2014 for people on a resolution side, try to deal with the things that you have control of. Right. Don't worry. Don't sweat the small stuff. Really try to get in there and think about, okay, what can I make a, a difference on that's going to have a bigger impact on my life. That's going to make it better. Yeah. Did you see that thing going around Craig's uh, um, uh, Facebook? By the way, it was a. Uh, it's like the in the first week of the year you save a buck, and in the second week you save two bucks, and in the third no. week you save three bucks. It's for like these people that are not in the habit of saving, right? And if you do this, the way that it kind of grows over time, in the fiftieth week you're putting in fifty bucks that week. So the fifty-first week, fifty-one bucks, fifty-two bucks. And then at the end of the year, you started out by just only committing yourself to giving a buck that first week. You, If you stick to it, it's close to a $1,200 or something. I think a $1,000 or so, yeah. And that's pretty cool for people that have nothing going on with savings. And, um, you know, that the uh, we were talking about this during the break. You said the average age for somebody showing up to start at a, a retirement account right now is 44. Right. That's freaky to me. Um, and I was telling you, uh, my friends and family and stuff that come to me for financial advice, there was bringing things up and I'm always asking, well, you know, what are you putting into your 401k? I, I, everybody's got something they're saving for, right? I'm going to Hawaii. I'm going to get a Ferrari. I'm going to have a kegger this weekend or whatever, but what's going into your retirement account? What are you, what are you doing to set aside something for tomorrow? And for some people, it doesn't matter too terribly much. Like if you work for the state and you know your pension's like a whole big set thing, whatever, spend to your last penny, nobody cares. But when you're like, you know, like us, we're we're basically self-employed. Yep. We're, we're going to be setting ourselves up for tomorrow. Your retirement's something you really got to be concerned with. And there's a, a variety of ways to do it. Um, I always tell people... 
make sure you're putting more into your retirement than your car payment every month. And if you can't afford that, then you really shouldn't be buying a new car in the first place. But I see a lot of young people that come in and they're just they're straddled with a $500 a month car payment. And then they'll say, I can't afford to, to chip into my retirement. Well, and, and it's not just that. I mean, I was sitting here and thinking about all my different resolutions for the year. And one is looking through every, like for a couple months, keeping track of almost everything you spend your money on, whether it be cash, credit cards, maybe your debit card, if you're used to doing that. And then analyzing it after a couple of months and seeing, well, where's the wasteful spending? I mean, if you're spending $200 a month on your cable bill, and you're never watching TV or you're only ever watching a channel or two on it, maybe change the plan to something different that right. only covers the channels you're watching and save 50 or 100 bucks a month. Or if you're it's spending kind of $200 a month at Starbucks, maybe you should go buy right. a coffee pot. And right. <laughs> Little details. Because, I mean, the point is to pay yourself first because nobody else will. Right. So if you force savings, have it where it's automated, where you're not even thinking about it. Because if you're always going to try to save at the end of the month with whatever's left over, there's nothing ever left over. Right. If, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that in my house, that's really what we do. Like, I mean, and you know, like you have the current account that I'm putting money into. I throw a little bit of money in that. That's something for me that's like just automatic. I right. have separate savings goals from there with other accounts that it, it isn't even taken into consideration what's happening in that first account. And the reality of it is, is that um, you do have to earmark money first that you intend to finish the month with. And if you're going to dip into that, the reason is going to be substantial. Correct. It's not because you felt like going to Applebee's instead of cooking tonight. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I so, completely agree. Hey, we're, we're running out of time here on the show. Um, Wes, you were so good in the first hour. What happened to you in the second hour? You like totally <laughs> you fell got, off. You got a better guest in here. Oh, no, no, no. He's better dressed than me, though. <laughs> you guys are both no, good Craig, looking dudes. Craig did a great job. I just Thank you. I, I enjoyed it and uh, enjoyed everything that uh, that you guys had to to converse about. Learned a lot, and just like the, the public, you did everyone a great favor, including me. Hey, man, you are looking super cute today, and I know your appointment just got canceled on you, right? I mean, did, yeah. dude got the duds on because he had a very important appointment, and, and it got canceled here while he's on the show. So if somebody would like to see real estate or have you in or whatever, how can they reach you? Just call me on my cell phone. I'm ready to rock and roll, 801-7061. He's already dressed for it. And Craig... I mean, you, you've got two collars on, too, one of which has popped, I noticed. Right, thank um, you. You're looking sharp, too. Appreciate if it. If folks want to get a hold of you to talk more about um, things we touched on today, how can they reach you? Uh, you can call, well, it's Blakesley and Blakesley again. Our, our ad's been running during the, the two-hour show. Uh, thank you again for that. And it's um, I'm in the San Luis Obispo office down on Santa Rosa and Marsh, and it's 805-543-4366. All right, and, and I'm representing Central Coast Lending. And if you have any lending needs at all or know somebody that does, send them our way. We're centralcoastlending.com. We can be reached simply at 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Thanks much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters.